Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case, co-founder of Fast Labs, along with my partner, the Fast Labs physiology guru, our resident Santa coach, Trevor Connor. First, happy holidays from Coach Connor and I. It has been a powerful year, let's say, at Fast Talk. We're thankful for you, our listeners, for taking the time to enjoy and learn from our podcast. We love this little community of scientific nerds, Grand Tour fanatics, cycling connoisseurs that we've created. So thank you again for listening, sharing, and being a part of Fast Talk. Before we jump into today's episode, we have a few pieces of news we'd like to share. First, we want to remind you that as we build our Fast Labs podcast network, we're in somewhat of a transition phase. So we continue to partner with our good friends at Velo News, of course, but we also have our own channel where you'll find more great shows in the near future. So look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, CastBox, and a host of other platforms. We'll soon be on Spotify. We're applying to be on iHeartRadio. Essentially, we want you to find us wherever you prefer to find us. So we're doing our best to get there, wherever that there is. As always, when you do find us, please rate us and review us as we build our channel. That helps others find us as well. The second piece of news, as we've always said, we love hearing from you, our listeners out there. To that end, we've set up a Google voicemail system so you can call in, leave us a voicemail with your burning question for Coach Connor and I, more for him, less for me, and we'll potentially include you in an upcoming episode. That's because Fast Talk will soon become a weekly show. So send us your questions on physiology, nutrition, Frank Overton, I don't care, tactics, the pedal stroke, whatever it is you want to know, we'll try to find the answer. We'll use the same system in the future for other specific questions, so stay tuned. The number to call is 719-800-2112. Again, that number for you to leave us an actual voicemail, remember those things, voicemails, is 719-800-2112. Please make sure that you have a good wireless internet connection when you call. Please call us from a quiet location so we can hear you clearly. And finally, please use headphones with an attached microphone for the best possible audio quality. Now, if you're riding a very quiet trainer when you call, just try to keep all that breathing and panting and sweating to a minimum. Thanks. Now, on to episode 90, our final episode of the wonderful year 2019. Today, we're discussing how best to deal with the lack of daylight that plagues the Northern Hemisphere this time of year. Many apologies, of course, to our friends in the Southern Hemisphere. Does the lack of light, the cold temperatures, the icy roads, does that kill your motivation to ride? Do you feel as if the fitness is literally draining from your body? Don't let it. Don't do it. The darkness, the temperatures, the perilous road conditions of the winter months don't have to be any sort of barrier. In fact, as you'll soon learn in this episode, this time of year is the perfect time to find a host of new ways to stay motivated. 
Add variety to your training methods. Try something new. Reinvigorate your work ethic. And ultimately, set yourself up to improve performance when the racing begins later in the year. Our primary guests today are Andrew Randall and Steve Neal, the owners of the Cycling Gym up in Toronto, Canada. And they bring in one of their athletes, Jeremiah, to join the discussion. Andrew Randall grew up riding bikes, raced professionally for a bunch of years, stopped racing in 2011, you know, started a coaching business, met Steve Neal in 2014, bing, bang, boom, we've opened a gym and that's what we've been doing for five years. I've been coaching, I think since I was 24, started off just with a kind of a local rider that reached a pretty high level before he got sick. When he got sick, I, I met a guy named Jürgen Feldman who helped me turn this athlete around in a un, like an unbelievable short period of time. I ended up coaching and, and working with Jurg as a mentor for an awfully long time. And during that period, I guess I was the provincial coach for mountain biking for about nine years. And during this whole time, kind of had a little private coaching business. And then Andrew, you know, mentioned that we became partners at the gym. And that's been really fun so far trying to work at the gym and make everybody faster, like Jeremiah. So, segue. Yeah, so uh, Jeremiah Groon, been at the gym here in Toronto for three years. Um, been, I would describe myself as a very amateur cyclist. <laughs> I train regularly, don't do many races. I just want to have fun and be fit. That's kind of my main goals. I've always been active, but have never reached like super high levels at, at any one thing. And yeah, having fun would be my, my primary goal. Yes, they're Canadian, but they don't care at all about the winter blues. They're tougher than us down here in America. It's true. And their advice, get brave and get outside. Yes, even in the dark, even in the snow. But if you can't, you won't go outside. They have plenty of sage advice on how best to hit the gym, the trainer, the weight room, whatever at your disposal to get the most and the most balance out of your training sessions. We'll also hear from pro roadie Erica Clevenger, someone who has only really known warmth and comfort all of her life. Now she lives in Colorado, so she's dealing with a little bit, a tease of some inclement weather now and again. She rides, for the next few days at least, for Show Air 2020, before she jumps over to the Tipco Silicon Valley Bank Squad in 2020. She divulges some of her favorite methods for cross-training with us in this episode. All that and much more, including some sage tech advice from Leonard Zinn. By the end of this episode, you'll understand that using the base season properly to prepare for the build to come and the all-important race season to follow that can be a very enjoyable time of year. Now, let's make you fast. Ready to take your training and racing to the next level? We're proud to introduce the Fast Labs Performance Experience Training Camps. Combining our devotion to science with our passion for sport, we've developed a world-class experience modeled after World Tour team camps, the likes of which are typically reserved for the most elite cyclists. Now, bringing it to you to help you gain a better understanding of the science of human performance. 
in partnership with the incredible staff at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center, will guide you through pro-caliber physiological testing, biomechanical analysis, and nutritional assessment. Throughout the camp, leading experts in sports science will present on the latest developments in their fields. Oh, and you'll also get to ride on the gorgeous mountain roads of Boulder with Coach Trevor Connor and myself. Check out fastlabs.com, enter FASTLABS2020 as the discount code and receive $500 off a purchase at this Performance Experience Training Camp. So before we get to the guys at the cycling gym to hear their thoughts on this challenge, we had the opportunity to talk to a local pro about how she deals with having limited light and poor weather conditions during the winter months. Earlier this week, I was visiting our friends at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center to discuss our new Fast Labs training camps, in fact. Lo and behold, I bumped into my friend Erica Clevenger and knew I needed to talk to her about her base training. Here's someone from California who went to school in Arizona, now living in Colorado, working on her PhD and training as a pro. She must have some good advice for all of us. So I asked her some good questions and she describes for us the ways that she addresses base training. Note to self, carry podcast recorder at all times, everywhere I go, in the future, because you never know who you're going to bump into and want to talk to. In the past, it's sort of dependent on where I've been and where I've been in my training. So for the longest time, I was actually in Arizona, where it's sunny year-round, and I can do those really long base miles, and I enjoy them because everyone else is doing long base miles, and you know, that's kind of where you get your community. But um, I recently moved to Colorado, where I live in um, Lakewood, actually. Mm -hmm. And I found there that, that your options are much more limited, especially in the winter. Like you have either bike paths, which may or may not have ice or people on them, or you have like going up into the mountains, which also might be sort of a treacherous yeah. <laughs> decision. This season, I've sort of taken more of a new approach in trying to do quite a bit more cross training. And historically, like that's sort of what I've done. I started in triathlon. So I always sort of revert back to that. I always like to do some swimming because I just think it's really excellent recovery. And you guys did a, actually a podcast recently with a physical therapist, I mm -hmm. Jess, Jess maybe? Elliott, yes. Jess Elliott. And she talked about a lot of issues that cyclists have. And one of them was thoracic kyphosis mm -hmm. and I absolutely have that so swimming <laughs> <laughs> swimming really helps me with that I love to run like I've I never you know quit triathlon because I hated running like some people did I, I love running and I find that running with my dog is like the best thing ever because he's just so happy when he does it it's worth it just to be out there for him and that's really good training of course and in, in a smaller amount of time and you can do it you know no matter mostly no matter what the elements are so so I sort of revert back to those, but what I've been doing quite a bit of is my lab group. So I work at Colorado School of Mines where I'm working on my PhD and my research group, they're really active and it's really fun. And so they always invite me to go do stuff. And one of the things they love to do is racquetball. So mm. I've been playing racquetball with them. I played tennis in high school, so I'll play tennis occasionally. I went back to see my family recently in Blaine, Washington. Mm -hmm where I played pickleball like the whole time. So I've just been doing a little bit of racket sports recently. And I think that's been really fun for me. And it's really good to get that sort of lateral movement mm -hmm. because otherwise those muscles just sort of t start to deteriorate. Right. And especially since I've been reading 
Roar, another mm. book that I think you had on your podcast. Yes, with Stacey Sims. Um, with Stacey Sims. You know, especially for women, those muscles, they don't come back after a certain period of time. Like, you kind of have to build, use it or lose it. Right. Um, and you sort of have to build those that strength in order to keep it. And I, for myself, just want to be able to be functional at, like, 50 or 60. Yeah, so. yeah. So I just put a lot of value in some of that cross-training. Maybe not even so much for performing at at maybe it's not necessarily because I want to perform at the absolute highest level that I want to perform at that season but it's more so for my long-term health Mm. that I Mm -hmm. um you know do some of those cross-training activities and what I've been told about off-season is during season you want to be the best cyclist that you want to be but off-season you want to be the best athlete which Mm. is all-around athlete and of course I mix in some weight training as well Okay, with this in mind, let's jump over to talking with Andrew, Steve, and Jeremiah up in Canada about base training and how to do it best. So it's winter, it's dark outside, it's cold outside. Well, that's that's really not that true. We're sitting here on a lovely day, Trevor and I, in Boulder, and it, it's actually pretty sunny. The snow is melting, but we've got uh, three guys on the line. I'm not going to make fun of where they live, but I'm just going to say they probably have less sunlight than we do this time of year. They're up in Toronto, and they are experts on what we're going to talk about today, which is figuring out how to train, improve performance, get through the winters with limited light, not overdo it, progress, do all those fun things you want to do when you're training, but do it with the constraints of having you know, no light, dealing with cold temperatures, all of those things, those constraints that a lot of people deal with, not just people in the uh, great white north up there. Four Canadians, <laughs> one American. Yes. Chris is looking a little scared. Nah, I'm, I'm history, sweating we'll, a little we'll, bit. We'll serve. We're, we're going to end up all making fun of Canadians. You know, you know the way this works. We're talking about a period of the year when a lot of people want to be doing what's traditionally known as base training, these longer, slower rides and things like that. But it's hard to do because we've got limited light. So what we want to do is talk about strategies and ways to work around that. Talk about maybe if that's true or not, do we do we need to just slog through the, the dark with headlights on our bike or what what can we do? So let's dive a little bit into that. Does it make sense to say, just start doing a ton of this high intensity. Let's drop the volume, do a lot more high intensity work, and you're going to get to the same place. Or are these signs of potential overreach an issue? So how much high intensity work do you feel these, these athletes who might only be able to get six, seven hours in the winter? Um, should they be doing? Well, I mean, at the gym, I would say we do, when we do in high intensity block, we keep it to do two days a week. Not, not all the sessions are high intensity, right? So we, we try to really vary things. So we might do two high-intensity sessions during the week, but then the weekend will be endurance. And during the winter, when people are coming here consistently, um, we know what they're kind of doing pretty much, three rides a week. So maybe two, two hard ones, one steady one, and then a couple of strength sessions. And that's kind of been our template for the last few years, at least, at least for parts of the blocks anyway. So you don't believe in... Uh compensate with doing more high intensity no and even when we do the high intensity we're still applying heart rate and making sure people aren't burying themselves by you know watching their reactions to the work their recovery putting a heart rate ceiling on for vo2 stuff um 
making sure it's repeatable. So even even with the high intensity stuff, it's it's not uh, it's not blow your brains out training, you know. So I think um, one of the things that's different about the gym approach versus maybe someone training at home, uh, even under our guidance, is that people who are coming to the gym are through the winter months, they're really only coming to the gym. So they might, you know, they'll be here five or six days a week. And so we have a strength and conditioning program that happens two of those days. There's two days usually when they're not doing anything. Um, I'd say 90% of the clients actually just take those two days completely off. And then the strength program is a a pretty well-balanced approach, but not, it doesn't create a, a ton of fatigue. And, and we do kind of balance if we're doing a harder block on the bike, then we do recommend maybe backing off a little bit on, on the strength side of things for two or three weeks so that we're not pushing things from two different places. So I think that the gym atmosphere, you know, like Andrew said, using heart rate ceilings and also we use basements so that if people can't get in this range, then we, you know, we're lucky enough to be able to kind of walk over, look them in the face, ask them how their legs feel, check their respiration rate. You know, so being in person is is pretty helpful, and then their learning curve, um, I think, it's pretty steep with you know attaching all these different body feelings to certain certain different kinds of workouts. Uh, but I think the bigger thing is that there's there's not this six or seven days a week of training always going on, always on the bike that I think helps us do a little bit more intensity at the gym. Yeah, so I hope that helps a bit. Yeah, sorry, we should take a step back and just explain that the cycling gym, I've been there in Toronto, it's this great facility where you have essentially an entire weight room facility um, that's quite robust, it's it's on par with what I've seen at a lot of actual gyms, and then you have a whole cycling studio, so you can really do everything with your, your athletes, and it sounds like you're saying... One, the ways you address the winter and, and the boredom of being on the trainer is get people into the gym where they're, they're riding together, where you can interact with them. It sounds like there, there's a, an enjoyment and a, a control factor with that as well. Why don't we get Jeremiah to chime in and you know, what his experience has been with adding weights to his program because he's been doing it for a few years now and how he feels that affects his winter. Yeah, I would say... The weights for me are pretty important, but something that you really have to monitor your fatigue level with. You can easily get into like a situation where you've got too much overload. I've found just by pushing it too hard. And so sometimes I go back to like just once a week or just working out at 70% of max when I'm lifting weights. I found that to be the the most important thing for me. So I want to... uh kind of jump into something that you put in the notes, the sort of high intensity work that you do uh, in the winter with your athletes when they're, they're in the base season. Um, so you said you never want them blowing their brains out. I also found it interesting you put in your notes that you have them do a lot of tempo, sweet spot, VO2 work, and anaerobic capacity, but very little threshold. And want to dive into that with you because uh, I'm actually quite the opposite. In, in the winter, I have my athletes doing almost nothing but threshold work. So what's what's your feeling and rationale on 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 that sort of work in the the base in the winter? Generally speaking, when bunch people come back to the gym in the fall, because so we basically test everybody on a monthly basis. And when we first opened the gym, very few people were coming in the summer. But what we did was we, we offered a free test every month for anyone who is a member. So they could pop in in June or July or August or, or whatever. The first summer, 
uh, no one came except for maybe one person. Um, then the second summer, a, a number of people actually came throughout the summer to get those tests done. And it was, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but they were kind of surprised that they'd been riding their bike all summer and outside more and doing all this stuff. And then every time June, July, August, September rolled around, they were actually getting worse. So we, we see that an, an awful lot where people come back to the gym in worse shape than they left it. And um, so that, you know, I, I guess if you want to attach a name to what we do, it's probably reverse periodization because generally people come, they've maybe got a lot of volume and a lot of, you know, hard group riding in their legs, and, but they've actually lost performance. So we kind of make sure they're rested and ready to go, but then we tend to focus on you know VO2 or anaerobic capacity first, and then the, the gym does kind of morph as a schedule as we see how people respond. So you know I use WKO5 at the gym, and all the clients are in there, so I can kind of keep an eye on it, and I think that really helps helps on one side, but I think back to being able to see people and how they respond to workouts. I don't know. I've I've always found that that too much threshold training really just causes this like deep muscular fatigue and whereas the vo2 and anaerobic capacity stuff um they seem to be able to pull it off when managed correctly so that's the other thing is like you know we really believe in intervals being equally paced so if there's 21 vo2 intervals in a set then they have to be all equal and they have to be between 90 and 95 percent heart rate so the specific way we might manage a workout is let's pretend we've got a 21 interval set and someone comes in, jumps, they sign up in the gym in the middle of a block. So they might get to 95% heart rate halfway through the workout, then they have to start trimming power to stay in their heart rate range. But if they, you know, fall off the wagon too much, then we would just sort of, they would just cut their workout a little short and, and do recovery. And then over time, they are able to perform all the intervals equally in the heart rate zone. And, you know, if you could watch them with the same sort of perceived exertion. So then what do you do? So that's, that's the base and you have to do that sort of work. When you get to the season, do you transition the work that they're doing or are they still doing a lot of that uh, really high intensity work? Yeah. So I think this is where the, this, where get, this is where it gets a bit tricky and I might let just Jeremiah jump in in a sec. So when the spring rolls around many of the clients just, they just go off and do their own thing. Many people continue their strength training throughout the summer, and there's a handful of people that come for biking. But I think what happens is, and I'm going to let Jeremiah expand, is they sort of, they kind of understand the effect of what their summer brings, and they sort of learn how to enter the spring with this really good high-end fitness, and then they need to learn how to manage bringing base. And, you know, we do a lot of tempo, so I'm not going to say that that's not part of it. Yeah, so I've been working with these guys for three years, and uh, this was the first summer where I kind of took the advice and basically rode a lot more endurance than I wanted to. How much do you mean when you say a lot of endurance riding? I probably did a hard group ride once every two to three weeks. And other than that, I was just riding at 70 to 75% heart rate whenever I went out. And what I found was that A, it was a little bit boring, but B, my motivation to ride stayed high throughout the whole summer. And then when I went out on group rides, like I really went hard. And those ended up being like amazing rides. I ended up setting like uh, all-time power records on some of my group rides. Uh, and I found that the, 
the fun parts were smaller, but more fun when they occurred. Uh, and that was how I managed my, uh, my summer. Interesting. Yeah, there seems to be this, like, uh, for at least the amateur rider, there's an inverse correlation between uh, fun and fitness. So if you want to get fit, you basically have to have less fun. <laughs> if you want to just do group reds all the time and have fun, you're going to lose fitness. I could see a little bit of truth to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that is fair. So what sort of endurance work are you doing in the winter? Uh, not too much, just whatever they prescribe for me. But uh, maybe once a week I do tempo to endurance. Otherwise, it's been a lot of threshold work so far. For any of our listeners, if you have something like the cycling gym, an incredible facility like this, I, I highly recommend it. As a matter of fact, when I moved out of Toronto, I, I handed my athletes over to you guys because I felt you were the, the best coaches to, to get them more to where they, they needed to, to get to. But a lot of our listeners, they, uh, they don't have these sort of resources. So let's also talk about this for people that don't have a cycling gym near them. I, I would say one of the first things people have to think about and something that I run into with my coaching clients is, you know, what's your level of motivation and what are your goals in terms of what your approach is going to be and, you know, how much, how much you're willing to do or sustain. And, you, and again, timeline is important. Like I was chatting with Jeremiah, you know, motivation is always high in October, November, December, because we're all thinking about next year and we're pumped and excited. And so, but we need to keep that motivation going through until April and be able to ride our bikes and have fun come May, June, July, right? Yeah. Generally speaking, um, it, to do with that motivation side of things is during the weekdays, you know, workouts will probably be like an hour and a half kind of structure, an hour to an hour and a half by the time you've warmed up and cooled down. Yeah. I mean, the way we've run it at the gym, for example, is I guess we kind of use a bit of block training almost, you know, we started with some ANCAP stuff and have been doing some VO2 stuff recently. So, you know, those workouts, by the time you've done a 20 minute warm up and you've done, I don't know, you know, a 20 minute block of work, a little bit of break, another 20 minute block, and then a cool down. I mean, you're at an hour and a half pretty quickly. And which is great because the, the structure just makes the time go by no problem. Uh, you know, the same thing, even when we go into view or um, tempo type stuff, six by 10 minutes, two by thirties, that kind of thing. Um, we generally keep it to an hour and a half. I guess we can just get specific with say some blocks we've already done over the last few months at the gym. So uh, anaerobic capacity workout, we might you know, do six by 45 seconds on with four minute, 15 second break. And then we might do, that's one workout we'll use. And then another one would be sort of um, 30, 60, 90, two minutes, 90 seconds, 60 seconds, 30 seconds. So a, a block where they're going to go as hard as they possibly can um, for each duration of the interval. And we have a bit of a joke at the gym where um, we like them to create a, a, a nice smile a nice even smile with their power profile on the TV screen when, when they're done. So, you know, so they're, they're going as hard as they can, but we want both 30 second intervals to be equal. And so therefore the longer the interval, the, the easier they're going, but this, this whole workout would still be sort of at VO2 and higher powers. So those two workouts are, you know, quite challenging. We do find the mental aspect of people learning how to pace themselves at such hard levels is, is uh, I don't know, it's amazing how much better people get at pacing when we, you know, we let them do the intervals and then all of a sudden we'll pop up their graphs so they can see how they're doing. Um, the improvement 
week after week is amazing. So they're learning to work really, really hard. But I guess in my opinion, when doing that kind of work, they're, they're very consistent. So if you do two sets, both smiles look exactly the same. So the person's working very hard, but never like actually burying themselves. So they come back two days later and they're able to really perform on the other workout. When we're doing that kind of work, the, the gym work, is, I, don't, I always say it's pretty simple because I guess it looks like it on paper, but you know, a hip dominant workout. So we basically have a squat day one day and a deadlift day the other day and some supporting exercises surrounding that, just simple things like uh, step ups or reverse sliding lunges. There's always an upper body push and pull both horizontally and vertically. So the program, basically our goal is to make it really well balanced and um, try to work on a lot of the things that, you know, cycling and sitting at a desk and sitting in a car might mess up. But, but it can be challenging if you push the load on the gym side. So I think as we kind of, Jeremiah alluded to it, as we push the load on the bike side, then, you know, we coach the people to back off. And then this, the same exercise becomes almost like movement therapy. So that those are really the, the two kind of harder anaerobic capacity sessions we would do. I think the one thing that we, um, we do at the gym a lot that I think is useful is, well, it, it has two parts. One, we don't use erg mode very much. So we, we only use erg mode really when we do a step test. And we really like to use slope mode and have the athletes, you know, use their gears and cadence to hit prescribed power targets. And I think that really um, helps them develop a better feeling for how to use their fitness when they get back out into the real world for, rather than sort of just staring at their STEM. And then um, another kind of add-on to slope mode is we might, let's say we're doing three 15-minute blocks of tempo. We'll actually turn, we'll let them say do... Uh, the first one, we'll give them their goal wattage and cadence and a heart rate ceiling, and they'll go ahead and do the first one, um, just like you would outside, changing your gears, finding the right RPM, and settling in. We always try to make the slope like not perfect, so it's almost a little bit annoying, and like it might be in the real world, nothing's perfect. So they might do the first 15 minutes. We, we let them look at all their data on the screen, and then we'll turn the the TVs off. And then the only thing they can see is cadence. So now they have to do a 15-minute block interval by feeling only being able to see their cadence. And so we don't even really show them a clock during this time. So they just sort of have to settle in to try to match the feeling they had in the previous one. Um, sometimes they'll sort of pop the TV on in the middle of that interval and, and, and they can sort of check in and see if they're close, way off, too high, too low. And it, it's amazing over the years how much better people have gotten a, a, out of duplicating a power goal by feeling. When I first started using a trainer, I was always prescribed interval sessions using erg mode. So for any of our listeners who don't know this, this is where the trainer controls your power. So you plug in, I want to do my intervals at 250 watts, and it doesn't really matter what gear you're in or what cadence you're doing. The trainer is going to keep you at 250 and I have seen exactly what you're talking about when you finally get out on the road and try to do this, where there's undulations in the road, you have to control the wattage yourself. I was found in the, the spring, I could not control my power and had to relearn how to do it. So you're really focusing on 
not just hitting the power in your uh, your intervals, but learning how to generate it yourself, learning how to feel what's the right power. Yeah, I think it helps um, even, I think it really has a, uh, it's very helpful in smoothing out a person's pedal stroke. I think that our bodies aren't like car engines. So we, we tend to kind of come and go during an interval. So you, you know what it's like to do tempo and it's like, Ooh, I, I need to back off a little bit here. But then when you back off a tiny bit, you can, you can bring back the power to, to get the same normalized power just because you took a tiny little back off or maybe even you're feeling good and you go a tiny bit harder, but the overall interval is really tight in the range, but it's, it's, it fluctuates and we fluctuate naturally. And I think that that helps with that too. Yeah. And this, we did an episode, I can't remember which one it was not that long ago where we talked to some time trialers and they said, you know, the, the best time trialers can do this all by feel. Uh, this great quote from Swain Tuff is that basically the only thing he looks at when he's time trialing is cadence. Otherwise, it's all all knowing that feel. Right. Such an important thing to learn. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's the thing with the with the smart trainer and, you know, all the different apps that are awesome. I, I think um, I think the erg mode is you know, it's easier to watch Netflix. It's easier to do whatever. It's easier to send a text message, but I don't know. I, 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 I kind of have this funny feeling. It is, I think it's partially responsible for heading towards burnout. You know, I mean, if you, even if we, you know, we talked a lot about doing higher intensity intervals when with sort of less time. And if, if you've got a 30 watt range for VO2 or a 15 watt range, if you just do one interval or two intervals, five or six Watts less so that you can come back and finish off a really good set. Like you're still in the, you're still in the zone, but you had a tiny little reprieve and you might even be able to finish one, 2% harder. Right. But I feel like Ergmo just, you know, some people say, well, yeah, we, we, we like it because it doesn't give us a break, but I don't know. I, um, that, that's, that's another big thing we use at the gym anyway. So you're having them do that interval work on on the trainer, and then they're immediately going to the gym side of of your facility and and doing the the weight work, or are those at separate times? Yeah, separate days. So it's kind of like the gym split up, and I think this is be great for anybody you know at home. You can either leave the gym part out if you don't have access, and just make sure you take an easy day or do some stretching or mobility or whatever really makes you feel better. But the, I think the secret is not to work too hard on that day in between these hard sessions. But no, they would come and do the hard bike workout, say, on a Monday, mm -hmm. gym work Tuesday, then another hard workout Wednesday, gym on Thursday, Friday is off. And then Saturday, as Andrew mentioned, we kind of have a longer endurance sort of tempo day. During the week, they're only on the bike twice. That's the Monday and the Wednesday. Uh, correct. Okay. So no, no easy rides. So I, I personally have my athletes during the week do the same thing, just the, the two high intensities, but I'll have them do a few easy rides to do a little neuro work, uh, during the week. Kind of interesting why you feel just the two, is that part of just that being on the trainer too much is, is mentally frying you? I think it's sort of defaulted by how we, how the gym operates, right? Because in order for a person to fit those five things in, and come as a member this the class times are scheduled so that that's sort of how it's evolved but what's shocking is how how fit people it's amazing how fit people get on three bike workouts a week two days off and two strength workouts a week like 
I don't know, not to talk about numbers too much, but we have like several, eight, nine, ten people with MAPs over 360 watts for sure, some near 400. Wow. Some big numbers coming out of the gym where like someone like Jeremiah and, and other people, they they only come to the gym. And it's and, and to the point where, yeah, I, I actually never would have thought this possible five years ago because I would have been a lot like you. And I, privately, I'm probably very similar, but uh, it's amazing how, how it does work. And I think maybe that's, um, you know, if I just, if I quickly sort of refer, if we look at sort of an entire year of, of say, Jeremiah's uh, power zones, I'll just kind of go through this medium speed. So there's like, if I combine active recovery and endurance, there's um, like 57% of his training is there. 14% is tempo. 9% is threshold. And then we've got 5 and 7% of VO2 and anaerobic capacity. So that's an entire year. So arguably, if we put threshold down below, um, we, we've got a 10, we've pretty much got a 90%, 10% split when you look at, um, you know, polarized. Right. If we go to the last 30, last 30 days where he's only been at the gym, then the numbers are similar, but uh, interesting, a little bit different. So now we're talking, you know, 60, 65% endurance and active recovery, 10% tempo, 2% threshold, 16% VO2, and 6% anaerobic capacity. So once again, it's, it's still polarized, just a different, a different way. But those are real numbers from a real person who comes to the gym for six months and, and you know, goes and enjoys the summer for six months. And um, so I think that training hard one day and then doing strength or mobility work, that, I think that's where people kind of learn to manage the strength side of things and they're off their bike and it's a different movement. And so, whereas if they get on the bike, they might be tended to do another hard workout because it's maybe boring to sit there for an hour. Right. I don't know because they don't, they don't have the opportunity here, right? So, so that's what I was going to ask you is what, what your, your feeling is, what, why this is. Um, to me, it's counterintuitive. As you said, you're kind of where I was five years ago or you, you five years ago, you were at where I'm, I'm at now of you, if you're going to do those two high intensity, you also need a couple easy, but it sounds like you're saying it's there, there's just practical standpoints. If people aren't good at going easy, it might get really boring and maybe you just don't need that much time on the bike this in November and December. Yeah. I think there's, there's no doubt about it. If they could have more time, I think, I, I mean, I think you know me well enough to believe I'm a big believer in endurance training. Yeah. But when you, I think when you don't have, I think what happens is people tend to combine different systems. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do polarized training, but then they do too much tempo or too much. They just do too much of something to throw off the mixture and maybe even just respect that you're, they're tired. So if they've, you know, if, if someone's scheduling their own work and they've got a, let's say they've got a threshold workout scheduled for Thursday and they go to try that threshold workout, but it's, they're just killing themselves to make it happen. They're, they're just, it's not that the threshold work is wrong. They're just not recovered yet. So maybe they should pull the plug and wait one or two more days. But I don't, I think people like love schedules. And um, so at the gym, they're on a bit of a schedule, but it's, there's this forced few days, technically three or four days off the bike, which I think, puts them into the polarization world and allows those very specific cycling muscles to take a break 
No, I completely see that. And I, I talk to my athletes all the time about in the base season, especially when you're talking early base, like November, December, and even January, that this is not the time to be making huge sacrifices to get more time on the bike. That is just, if your target races are in May, this isn't critical. So I, I'm just trying to think this through and I'm talking out loud, but there there is a certain rationale to me of, if if it's a difference between just not being on the bike or as you said doing kind of in between not great quality work i'd rather tell my athletes look there's limited light we all hate sitting on the trainer so just get two high quality workouts in and and we can do more time on the bike later when it's easier when you have more daylight but better just to get the two high quality sessions than to get the two high quality sessions and a bunch of low quality stuff and make big sacrifices when you don't need to be making sacrifices at least that's that's kind of what i'm picturing in in my head i think incorporating the strength is an amazing thing it you don't you don't need a lot of equipment so there's lots of you know in the, in the you know starting now over the last few weeks so that i guess is another way we get around this big fatigue situation so we're we, we're going to do more we're going to kind of move into some tempo, but we, we always kind of leave a little bit of what we have been doing and we kind of roll something new into the training. So it's not like they ever leave what they've just done. Um, I always kind of refer to like, a, a you know, if you're taking a shortcut when you're in high school and you had to walk across a grassy field and then you stop walking across that grassy field for three or four months and you go to walk across that grassy field, the, you know, it's, the grass is going to be up to your waist and it's going to be a lot of work and you might trip and fall. And so if you kind of walk across that path once every three or four weeks, then maybe number one, the training will be so horrible when you're somebody, you know, goes asked to go back and uh, to do it again. But uh, so, so that, that, that's one reason why we kind of always dabble in something and while we're working on something else. Um, but we also start to, we start to, incorporate um, more of an upper body based core uh, movement circuit um, one of the two days a week in strength which once again kind of frees up their legs to give them a day off which is great one thing to add about the strength i think we're talking about the the studies over three weeks versus years is that in my experience the strength takes like a year or two before you really can a handle the fatigue and notice a difference it takes quite a while for it to to kick in i found i'm enjoying this. this this is different from what i do but i'm i'm really hearing your rationale so your solution to all this is to say it's dark it's nasty outside um you're stuck in a trainer so let's boil down to what you you really need which is uh, that two two times of of high intensity um, there's a real gains to just getting in the, the weight room and, and doing some, some upper body and lower body work. And let's leave it there as opposed to trying to force you to do tons of time in the cold and the dark. But I would, I would even say we don't even, I mean, we do high intensity at the gym, but I wouldn't even say that it's sort of mandatory is maybe not the right word because we might, you know, we might do four weeks and then test and then, you know, Steve and myself and the other coaches here chat amongst ourselves and say, oh, what have you been seeing with people in the class? We might look at the results from the MAP test and then we'll go do something else, right? We, it's not, it's not by rote that we're doing two high intensity intervals a week, you know, like uh, eventually we'll progress into a block of tempo. We'll probably do three, three days of tempo a week, perhaps, you know, and then we'll mix in some high intensity every other week or something like that. 
but it's not the situation isn't like every week is two hard intervals and then the weekend steady but it does sound like the the one thing that's consistent here is let's not throw a lot of maybe slightly beneficial but mentally draining time at you when you're sitting in a basement on a trainer yeah i mean i don't know one of the things i always say is again it comes back to a bit about how motivated you are and what your goals are and everybody's a bit different i mean i have some clients that don't mind riding indoors longer rides but i think generally speaking the folks that i've seen who are like hyper committed and they're doing these massive rides on the trainer in the winter uh, you know come the season are they still motivated to ride their bikes so that's where the that's where there's this sort of balance situation maybe once in a while you do a long ride but week in and week out over and over again yeah probably not appropriate you know yeah and right now i, I can almost feel bruce bird cringing <laughs> i mean i think you know the other thing to remember when you're on a trainer it's it's uh i don't know what's the word it's more concentrated more not intense that's not not the right word but concentrated than riding outdoors there's no coasting there's no downhills there's no stop signs there's no lights there's no micro brakes like when you're doing 40 minutes of tempo on the trainer it's like it's like Oh, high yield, Jeremiah says. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like, you know, there, there, there isn't these little micro breaks that you get outside. When you do 40 minutes of tempo on the trainer, um, man, it's like, you know, 40 minutes of tempo. It's it's solid. So it's it's a bit different, right? It's not, not quite the same as riding outdoors. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm sorry for our listeners. Bruce Bird is a fellow Torontonian who I swear every time I get on Zwift, he's on there. <laughs> I, I'm not sure he ever gets off of it. <laughs> Well, he is multi-time Masters World Champion, isn't he? Yes, he, so. he makes the big sacrifice. <laughs> I actually looked at his profile. Swift, Gifted. What measures your total time on Zwift and the number of pizza slices you, you've burned? And I'm pretty sure Bruce keeps every pizza joint in Toronto in business. We actually caught up with Bruce and talked to him about Zwift, specifically the fact that many users are, quote, weight doping to gain a competitive advantage in the races. People get too caught up in it in terms of the racing, and, and I see what Swift is trying to do and engage sort of the uh, you know, second-tier teams to, to make it a racing and audience to, to watch, and, and the e, I don't know, e-racing is a thing, and I don't know where that's going to all net out, but it's a great training tool. Like that, it's awesome that way. So it, just accept, you know, if you come to that point, and Instead of, oh, I want to do better, you know, finish in the races. Okay, if you're going to shape them, I don't know. Like people were taking their weight down, their height down during, like doing, finding whatever edge they could and doing it on, online. I guess it's not surprising uh, if you look at the history of the, our sport. Yes. You know, some, oh, and, and I hear people go like, oh, it's only a couple of you know, I'm only doing a bit, but everyone else is doing it. Gosh, yeah, I guess they are, but whatever. <laughs> but you don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm training. I know what I'm training for. And uh, if I finish 20th or not, or if I finish, you know, on the podium or closer to the top in, in a race on Swift, that's great. It's fine either way, as long as. I accomplished what I wanted to do in the race. And that, and it rarely sit in and, and sprint for a finish. That doesn't give right. me a lot of satisfaction. Right. No, and in real races, either. 
I'm there to work out. I'm there to have a, okay, let me see if I can, you know, hold this for five minutes in a space. Let's see, wow, let's see what I can do. Um, let's get that bad a try. It's not great for, a, like, racing tactics, but, oh, what the heck. Go for it. Give it a shot, maybe. Now, back to the guys at the cycling gym. All right, let's jump over to, to weekends. And, you know, it, I bet there's a, a common theme out there where people think, oh, I'm, I didn't get that much time during the week. It was dark, but I've got daylight. I've got, you know, I can be out during the warmest hours of the day on the weekend. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my six-hour ride and I'm going to do it Saturday and Sunday if I have the time for it. Is that the correct thing to be doing or is that, um, you know, a little bit too much? What, what, what should people be doing on the weekends? What do you recommend? Well, I guess if you live up here, you're lucky and you can go fat biking a lot or cross-country skiing or snowshoeing or you can ride your bike. I really think that, you know, having a variety of things to do while you get in some volume is great. I think fresh air is almost needs to be a mandatory thing whenever possible. So if someone loves to ride in the winter and has a lot of clothing and whatnot, I, I mean, go for it. I, I guess it, it, I always say everyone at the gym anyways is if you go if you go do something on your own, make sure it's below 75% of your max heart rate. So whether it's skiing or it doesn't really matter what they choose, but it's it needs to be an endurance-based activity or that's going to really throw off this whole mixture that we were talking about that sort of Jeremiah has in his uh, power profiles and heart rate profiles. So I don't know. I, I love endurance riding. I think... Um, that if someone has has time and can go get more fresh air and it's actually an, an endurance training session if they're kind of doing what they m- might be doing monday to friday uh, at the gym then i i think go for it but i do think variety like you know there's lots of really neat things about you know say say taking up biking in the winter um, you don't necessarily need a fat bike there's lots of groom trails and people ride regular mountain bikes with and without studs and it's amazing once you start riding in the winter how much you appreciate what a good pedal stroke might be trying to get up a hill that's a little slippery. And so I think there's a lot of benefits to trying different aspects of of the sport of cycling. So, you know, everyone thinks that only mountain bikers should fat bike, but I, I don't know, why, why can't a cyclist just fat bike? And um, so, yeah, lots of volume is, is okay as long as they're able to, I guess, absorb it. Always think of... Try to think of yourself as a sponge and whatever training load you kind of pour into that sponge, make sure that you can wring it out and start over the next day and start over the next day. I don't think you want your sponge kind of pouring all over the counter. It's <laughs> so, an interesting analogy. I like that. Yeah. So I, we, we talk about the sponge thing a lot because some people can just handle more load. and um, But you need to fine tune what that amount is. And that could be mental load of sitting on the trainer. It could be volume load of riding for six hours on your bicycle. Um, maybe you can handle three hard days a week. But at the end of the day, we're all a sponge. We need to figure out you know, how we can wring ourselves out. What is your feeling? So it sounds like we're on the same page here. I'm very big on in the winter, get out, get those long rides on the weekend, but keep it slow. And I know a lot of people who, especially in places like Colorado here, or when I lived in Florida, you already have the group rides going in in December and January, and they're going hard. And, and my feeling is, 
at this time of year, that's not the best approach. And it sounds like you're you're in full agreement. This is your chance to get that low intensity, keep the training polarized. Yeah, totally. Like if you if you I think that's like earlier when I said I think people tend to mix different philosophies together. I just it's just not gonna work if you try to mix too much hard training, you know, yeah, I, you just can't do two hard interval sessions a week and then go out for a five hour group ride and, and believe that to be, you know, beneficial. It's just, it's just going to be too hard where the duration at a nice pace is very beneficial. So Chris, we are growing, we're expanding. We are no longer fast, just fast talk. We are now fast labs. That's the new business. And part of the reason for the this different name is we wanna offer camps here in Colorado, here in Boulder. And we are partnering with CU Sports Center. That is one of the top facilities in the world when it comes to bike fit, physiological testing, coaching, all these different services that are normally just reserved for the, the, the best of the best, the elite. So if you're as excited about these camps as we are, go to our website, www.fastlabs.com. Check us out. We have three camps in 2020. One, the last few days of April, first few days of May, one in June, and one in August. Check out fastlabs.com. Enter fastlabs2020 as the discount code and receive $500 off a purchase at this performance experience training camp. One of the hardest things to do, I think, uh, personally, when you're talking about more time on on trainers and and dealing with low light and, and, and cold temperatures is keeping the motivation high, keeping it enjoyable so that you can get the the proper training in, not lose the motivation, and then get on the back foot. So let's talk a little bit about ways to make this all a bit more enjoyable. Who wants to start? Well, I'll throw something out that I have really liked that you guys have this underlying message of there might be big sacrifices you can make that from a physiological standpoint might be better but motivation is important and keeping you mentally fresh into the season is important. And I still think about the, the first coach I ever worked with. He had me doing 15 hours on the trainer in the winter every week. Blech. And I was done. I, I was done by April because that just mentally fried me. And it sounds like that has been an underlying theme with, with your approach. Yeah, I think for myself working out through the winter the key thing in working with coaches is that it allows me to put the minimum amount of mental effort into my training and so over the winter you want to be as consistent as possible but you don't want to allow the exercise bucket to get larger mentally so for me that's been very important is to just do it consistently but don't really think about it too much allow someone else to uh to manage the uh, the planning. Do you guys have tricks to to make this all more enjoyable when it's dark and nasty? When so one way I know that a lot of people like what you're feeling about Zwift. I actually started using Zwift last year and quite enjoyed it. You know, I like the fact that it's you know 
mimicking riding outside where you have to pay attention. You might have a workout to do some tempo stuff and you can go pick a nice long hill to do it on, which, you know, in Toronto, we don't have any hills. So it has a real advantage like that. The gradient on the hill changes, you know, you can do some different courses. Uh, so just as you would riding outside, you need to pay attention, shift, maintain your cadence, uh, you know, all, all the stuff you would do outside on, on, a, on a climb. You're now bringing inside on, onto onto a course on Zwift, and I, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it, adding that into the the repertoire. You know, Steve, you have any thoughts? I I really like Zwift as well. I mean, I've I've used it before going away in the spring. I'm no I'm as far from a superstar on a bicycle as it gets, but I I I go to this like stage race every April, and so we we really don't get to ride outside until we show up. And so I found the when I started adding. Um, you know, lower RPM actual climbing work on Zwift. I, I felt a lot better when I got there than just doing the same power and RPM, say on a trainer. So even with slopes, I, I, I did like riding it. I, you know, I found I would stand more a little bit. It just was a bit more natural. I think the, um, I think maybe the mistake made is if someone's going to, you know, we've been talking a lot about having two focused interval sessions a week, maybe three if you're a big sponge. But I think sometimes people go on Zwift and it's fun and, you know, fun means maybe riding a little faster and harder, but they might not replace one of their harder sessions. So I think Zwift is an awesome thing. I just think they have to remember that if they go really hard on Zwift, they need to drop one of their other hard workouts either the following week or earlier in the week. Yeah, that would be my one key point. I've actually used Zwift a lot, um, especially when I, I get home at seven o'clock at night and want to do some interval work, it just makes it a little more enjoyable, but actually getting ready for this podcast this weekend, I did a three hour ride on Zwift. There was a ton of snow outside, uh, and wanted to see how well I could control myself. So I ended up doing multiple group rides. The, the first one I, I joined the B group and next thing I knew I did 40 minutes right at threshold or above. So that wasn't at all what I was planning. So I was like, okay, I will join one of these group rides that says just the tempo ride. And I joined the C group that said it was going to ride at two watts per kilogram. And I don't think I ever dropped below 2.5. So that was also not what I wanted. No. <laughs> uh, then I joined a third group ride. And at the end of it, I, I just changed the name of the ride to that was one of the dumber things I've ever done. <laughs> So, did you use your did you use your boost feathers many times <laughs> so well i was going to say one of the things that i've enjoyed doing actually is is um mixing some zwift rides and then you know we've got a couple of sets of the inside ride rollers here at the gym and um so mixing up how i do my riding you know sometimes i'll do it on zwift and then sometimes i'll i'll do it on the on the rollers and i i I'm enjoying, they seem to put the body under tension differently and it feels a bit differently how I sit on the bike. So a bit more variety that way has been, uh, has been good for, for me personally, mentally. And then, uh, you know, something else that if, I mean, somebody at home who's got a, a gym and bike setup that we've, we've kind of done privately is mixing for longer sessions, you know, some riding with strength circuits. It's a great way to pass a couple of hours pretty quickly, you know, 10 minutes of endurance, 10 minutes of circuit training, 10 minutes of endurance, 10 minutes of circuit training, or whatever the combination may be. But that brings in another array of variety and interest, and you can always change the circuit. And, you know, one week you can be doing tempo and circuits, low cadence tempo and circuits, you know, spinning. You, you just, it just is, is another way to make it 
more interesting because the the winter is long for sure. Any other thoughts you guys have on when when there's no light and it's it's crappy outside? Things that you can do to to make this all more enjoyable, to to keep it mentally fresh. I think if possible to find like if you have a friend that's you know. I, I do know some people that like to get together and, and, and do night rides. So get off work and instead of jumping on the trainer or whatever that once a week or every few weeks, they'll actually do a, like a night fat bike ride. So especially when the snow's in the air, it's like it's super pretty and the headlights, you know, going off the snowflakes and you just don't notice the cold as much and you're ch chatting to somebody who's been out at, at work all day. So that's another thing is maybe finding someone and maybe if you can't do it every week, but every few weeks, get out in the fresh air, even in the dark, grab a headlamp and, 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 and meet someone at a set time. So you, you know, you don't go, Oh, I'm just going to go do whatever. So, you know, maybe finding someone else in a similar boat that you might be able to meet once in a while could help. I think that's a great idea. We used to, when I lived in upstate New York, we used to do a night mountain bike ride every Tuesday night. Um, so we'd all have the big lights on our mountain bike and it was a lot of fun and it kept you from doing anything high intensity because you're in the woods on a mountain bike in the dark. You don't want to go fast. <laughs> Very true. Leonard Zinn is, well, he's Leonard Zinn. He's a legend that needs no introduction author, bike builder, guru, and a longtime VeloNews contributor, he is an expert in bike technology. With the idea of riding in the dark in mind, it is important to be safe. Leonard has more to say on the subject. I, you know, I have thought about this a lot because I do ride some in the dark myself. And we talked about Tom Pran. He's got Arsenal Cycling where he has this system where he has a bunch of flashing lights and they all flash in synchronicity with each other so that so that say you've got one down low on your bike and you got one say on your back and maybe one on the back of your helmet and if they're synced with each other then just like a a pilot flying in and seeing a, a radio tower where all of the red lights are flashing at the same time then he knows that that's one thing it's not it's not there's a flashing light of that thing and there's a flashing light that maybe is in front of it or behind it or whatever if they're all flashing at different times so that his his point which is probably a great one is that you you um the driver automatically their eyes know oh okay that's that's one thing that that flashing thing moving along there is one cyclist it's not a bunch of different things in the in an urban atmosphere where there's all these lights and all sorts of things going around that that allows them to pick it out and to avoid it on the other hand you know um grant peterson you know sort of is this iconoclast in the bike business who who thinks about everything differently than than everybody else and and wrote a book basically about you know people overthink everything about their bikes and but one of one of his his points about lights is you don't want flashing lights because if a if the driver is drunk the flashing light just makes their it just attracts them and, and you're naturally turned toward what you're looking at and ends up steering right into the cyclist and so if you if you're counting on the on the drivers being sober and making a conscious decision oh there's a cyclist i can see the flashing lights are all 
lined up with each other and I'm going to avoid that. That's one thing as opposed to a drunk driver weaving all around and just swerving toward the toward the thing that attracts his attention. And the person who's doing the riding might want to think about what time, you know, if it's 2 a.m., maybe drunk drivers are more of an issue and you want to have <laughs> sure. solid lights. Sure, you know? yeah. There's if, a lot of things you could try to anticipate, yeah, but that would yeah. be next to impossible yeah, to get if it right. If it's in Toronto at 5 p.m. and it's pitch dark and, you know, maybe these are on-the-ball people. Now back to the guys at the cycling gym. One question I would bring into this is, I feel like the original intent of, uh, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned this word yet, cyclocross, the original intent of cyclocross was to to give people a, an outlet of, a training outlet that was fun in these winter months where things were sloppier and, and um, you didn't want to spend as much time on the bike. How do, can that, maybe this is a, too long of a, a discussion at this point, but how can you work that in? to a uh, road racing season if you back off the taking ta- taking cyclocross a little less seriously and using that as training can that be done effectively i think that i mean i think that's an amazing idea so whenever you can use real races but hold yourself back a little bit there's a, the, the the bike handling is just it's just different there's it, there's so many benefits to using races as intervals or re- interval replacements as long as you hold back and keep that in mind, which is really about sort of checking your ego. The person who actually got me into training a long time ago was eighth at the Olympics in cross-country skiing in the 50K, and I spent an awful lot of time watching that person train. And I, I, trained, I trained with him a lot in the summer, and you know, he was doing like 1,400 hours a year. And so I remember one weekend he would do a 5K run, next weekend he would do a triathlon, next weekend he would do a road race. And the variety of his intensity in his off season was as, as much as he could possibly do. And so, you know, that's really what you're saying is, you know, use cyclocross as, instead of doing seven by three minute intervals or five by eight or whatever it is, whatever it is you want to do. It's just that it can't, you need to be able to recover from it so that two days later you feel like you could do another workout. And that's hard for some people, but I think it's really beneficial. All of you are uh, new to this, but uh, very simple. You've got 60 seconds on the clock. We want you to encapsulate every great thing you've, you've spoken about here today and maybe even some more things and, and, and summarize for the listeners out there the best take-homes from the episode. Take it away. I think everyone should buy a sponge and put that sponge where you can see it when you're riding your trainer all the time and, and be honest and ask yourself how full it's getting. I've never told that to anybody before. So there, I'm new to the game and that's new for me. So that's mine. That's about 30 seconds. Perfect. I like it. Andrew? Yeah, I think my big thing um, is really just this whole question of motivation is a big deal, man. Like, how many people do you see super motivated? They're all pumped for next year and then they, and then they blow out, you know? So watch, watch your, watch your motivation and be honest with yourself about, uh, about where you're at for the winter, you know? Jeremiah? For myself, I think the biggest thing is just to do more endurance than you think you should. <laughs> you end up being a bit bored, but it pays dividends in the end with regards to your motivation and overall willingness to actually want to go riding. Trevor? What do you got? When you're stuck inside, especially if you're in your own basement, 
if you're trying to do tons of work, I admire the motivation, but the question is, as you guys are pointing out, is that motivation still going to be there in April and May? So I like that you keep it limited. I like that you boiled it down to what's what's necessary, what's most beneficial at this time of year. But remember that it's December and keep it manageable. You you still want to have that high motivation when the season comes around. Right. Chris? Yeah, and, and to that point, I think my my take home is variety is such an incredible thing. So if you can get on or get off your bike and do other stuff, that's great. If you can get onto a different type of bike, that's great. If you can run, dare I say it, run a little bit, that's awesome. Nordic ski, that's great. All of that variety will clear your mind a bit from from the the training. It will help you in terms of that long-term motivation. It helps you physically in, in so many ways that you probably don't even realize. So that's kind of the the crucial element for me during these these winter months is that variety. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and many other podcast hosting sites. Please leave us a rating and a comment. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash realfast.labs. On Twitter, our handle is fast underscore labs underscore real. And on Instagram, find our profile at fast.labs. Fast Talk is a joint production between Bella News and Fast Labs LLC. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Andrew Randall, Steve Neal, Jeremiah, Erica Clevenger, Bruce Bird, Leonard Zinn, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.